Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Thank you again, Sean, for the invite. Thank you, folks, for uh, the welcome that I've received year on year on coming back among you. Um, just a moment or two waving a little bit of literature at you. Um, many of you will have got the Our Duty Towards Israel uh, of Robert Murray McShane. I trust you got that on your way in. Uh, really, it kind of summarizes what we do and as I said in the Sunday School Hour, we do this together. We are partners in reaching the ancient people, bringing the gospel to our Jewish neighbors and friends. Um, so our duty, as McShane says, is gospel duty. It's bringing the gospel to them. I do have other literature there. That's a little summary sheet. I think I've had that in the past. Uh, I can't remember whether I had that last year, but the AC course is not complete in that we have 20 uh, sermons, lecture sermons. I, people have said, I never lecture, I just preach, and so that's fine. Uh, so they're kind of lecture stroke sermons, uh, but mostly sermons uh, that are there online on our website as we seek to assist and, and encourage and equip you in having an awakened conscience, is the title of that, uh, but also in the ability to talk to our Jewish neighbors, not that we are all to become experts. It is indeed the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of the blind. It is not us by our eloquence or our arguments, but we must engage, and we must bring the gospel, and we must pray as we seek your prayers uh, for the gospel as it goes forth. Uh, having said that, it is important to uh, both raise the question and answer it as to what gospel we bring to our Jewish neighbors, what gospel we bring. And it's in that light that I want us to look at Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it says Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9. Um, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so uh, bear with me, and uh, we're going to look indeed at the whole chapter. There are certain verses that we will focus particularly in on, but uh, let us read together the whole of the chapter in Philippians 3, and then we'll uh, get into it. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and not tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Amen. May the Lord bless and instruct us from His holy Word. If I was to ask you, how shall we bless Israel? I hope I wouldn't get an answer that says, says, uh, buy a tree for Israel, or stand with Israel, or I hope we would be thinking on, what is the greatest blessing that I have received in my life? It must be Jesus Christ. So therefore, how can we bless Israel but by bringing her the greatest blessing, as I said in the Sunday school hour, that she brought us Gentiles? the gospel of their Jewish guy, Jesus. However, having said that, in the light of many gospels being peddled, what is the gospel that we present? 
And that's what I want to bring us to today in Philippians chapter 3. The letter to the Philippians is an encouraging, instructive correspondence to a church that began as a Jewish prayer meeting. You know the story of Lydia? Why do I say it was a Jewish prayer meeting? Well, it, there was no synagogue there, but where there was no synagogue, you would have a prayer meeting, and you would have a prayer meeting by water for ceremonial cleansing. And it is at that little Jewish prayer meeting by water that Lydia comes to faith. And this church was added to by those psalm-singing apostles in jail, and we have a jailer and family added. And so the church at Philippi begins as a Jewish church with many Gentiles now starting to come in to the body. And to this church, Paul wrote some amazing and memorable words. Again, think it's Jewish roots. Christianity is Jewish. The church begins as a Jewish prayer meeting. And to this church, Paul writes, to me to live is Messiah, Christ. At the name of Yeshua, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And when he comes to this chapter 3 that we're looking at, he starts, finally, finally. Now, just in passing, never believe a preacher when he says, finally. <laughs> we, we know, Paul, you've done two chapters, and we know there's two more to come. <laughs> so, he's, he's really not quite at the finally, but finally. And he starts with, rejoice. But in the context of rejoicing in the Lord, in the context of rejoicing in the glorious themes of the gospel, he has a warning. And what a warning. The gospel realities that thrill us, that cause rejoicing in us, are so immense, and he draws them out, but it's within the context of falsehoods. It's in the context of false gospels. Sinclair Ferguson writes of this as a violent warning among the strongest sentences in any of Paul's letters. It, it's that important, the warning. Look out for the dogs. What we have first of uh, my first point is a warning regarding the flesh a warning regarding the flesh. You've all seen those signs on, on homes, beware of the dog, and as you pass by, there's this little wiener dog that comes out and yaps at you, you know, beware of the dog. Well, Paul's warning sign, beware of the dog, the dogs, uh, concerns a much larger, much more dangerous enemy. And he actually uses a racist term here, dogs. And that term is usually used among his own people for the Gentiles, the Gentile unclean dogs. And he's using that term for those among his own Jewish community. That's striking. Because there were teachers, the Judaizers, who were causing damage to the church, the Jewish believing church. 
And these Judaizers were insisting upon fleshly commands, including circumcision. And they were insisting upon, as it's termed here, fleshly mutilation. And Paul calls them unclean dogs. Now, it goes without saying that Paul knew his stuff theologically. We come on to his Jewish credentials shortly. We'll talk about those in a moment. So, this is not just a, an untheological rash comment. This is a, Singler Ferguson, violent theological warning. In contrast to flesh-filled religion, in this instance here, circumcision, legalistic Torah observance, food laws, he shocks with a warning. And even in, else, in, a, in another place, he insists that those who insist on circumcision go the whole way and emasculate yourselves. These are, these are not faint words. He calls them evildoers and mutilators. And so, this warning must be of vital importance to, to gospel realities and gospel truth because it, it strikes at the very heart of what the gospel is. And therefore, by extension, it strikes at the very heart of what the gospel is that we proclaim to our Jewish neighbors and friends. By way of application of this point, I want us just simply to think on the confusion over confidence, the confusion over confidence. Upon what do you place your confidence? A few months ago, I was uh, given the opportunity uh, through my colleague Mitch uh, to preach in a Messianic fellowship in South Florida. And as soon as I came into the building, the, the Messianic rabbi quizzed me as to why I worship on Sunday and whether I ate shellfish or not. You see, this warning from the apostle is not a theological dispute of a bygone age. It's here. It's now. It's in South Florida, and it's all over the U.S. as well. There are those who believe in Torah observance and continue as Messianic Jews. We interact with them. We must interact with them as I said at the Sunday School Hour, the Messianic movement is messy. Um, there is good, bad, and ugly, and, and that's the same in, in church life as well. So, we interact with them, and we don't uh, immediately strike everything off as wrong. But I have some serious issues, um, and we'll see that in the text. And as I said earlier, if Judaism trumps Jesus, Houston, we got a problem. And at best, there is confusion over confidence. On what do you place your eternal confidence? Is it works, or is it the work done on Calvary? A Jewish believing brother who also spent time uh, within a Messianic fellowship and ha has now come out from that, he, he wrote me recently. Uh, and he says this, and so he's speaking from, from within uh, and has seen the danger. And he said, alarmingly, many Jews who profess Christ, and he's Jewish, uh, and many Jews who profess Christ are not encouraged to attend church immediately. Rather, they are directed to attend Messianic fellowships or synagogues where their Jewish concerns can be accommodated. 
Here they are typically taught to hold on to some of the elements of their Judaic practices and instructed that the church is prejudiced against them. It's messy. We must interact. And some of these fellowships are better than others, and I don't want to completely write all off, but there is great confusion concerning the confidence. And Paul is adamant that there is a real problem here, and he issues the sternest warning. If you continue to place your confidence on the shadows when the substance is here, Jesus, then you're not of the real circumcision. Let me illustrate. Surely we've learned over the past couple of years that Zoom is inadequate. We've used it a lot. We've had to use it a lot. But we want to be here. And any church, dare I say it, even any Christian, that maintains that it's okay to do church online indefinitely and forever, then, yeah, with Houston, we got a problem. I'm preaching to the people. And this is, this is a live issue in the churches all across the nation. Let me illustrate again. My wife, I'm looking forward tomorrow morning. I'm going to press a button on my GPS that says go home. It's the best part of my weekend. Uh, I've been on the road since Thursday. I'm away usually maybe two Sundays out of four. Um, but she's my wife of 40 years this summer. She's the wife of my youth. I delight in her. I want to go home. Now, on our phones, and used to be in your wallet, you used to keep photos of your family or your wife or whatever. Is that photo on your phone? Can I just say, well, I'll just, I'll just keep looking at the photo of my wife, and I can go around and… No, I want to get home. I want to see her. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> or my wife uh, grew up in Belfast. I grew up in Bangor, Northern Ireland. Uh, we discovered um, soon into our, our dating and soon into our, our relationship that because her grandmother lived in my hometown, that as a little kid, maybe five, six, seven, or whatever, she would go to this certain candy store, and I said, I would go to that candy store. And there's kind of a, the romantic in me that thinks, maybe we met when we were six, you know. Um, and so I know where that candy store is, and I know where she grew up, and I, I know where she, she worked in the bank in her early days, and I know that bank. And it would be weird of me to say, you know, instead of going back to Arkansas tomorrow, I think I'll take a trip to Northern Ireland because I'd love to see that candy store and I'd love to see that bank where she worked. No! Those are the shadows of her existence. The substance is in Northwest Arkansas. Okay? Why do we have a fascination for the shadows when the substance is here? You want to go visit the land? That's good. You want to buy a tree for Israel? That's weird. You want to visit Jesus' old candy store? <laughs> you want the shadows or do you want Christ? You want the ritual or do you want the Redeemer? 
Enough of the mutilation, says the apostle. You're confusing the issue. On what do you place your hope, your confidence? Is it works? Is it ordinances? Then go the whole way. Now, Paul is speaking to the Judaizers specifically, and we have obviously some application to that even within our own context of ministry. But we could apply this to any form of Jesus plus religion. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus the local church rule book. For your confidence, don't, don't misunderstand me of the importance of baptism. I'm in a Baptist church. I need to be careful. Don't misunderstand me. But if, if salvation is by baptism, then the thief on the cross has a problem. If there's Jesus plus and I've seen it in Northern Ireland, I've seen it elsewhere, that there's a legalism. It's alive and well, and any form of Jesus plus is what Paul gets at here. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the dogs. But we must move on secondly. We had a warning concerning the flesh. Secondly, we have wisdom regarding the faith. Wisdom regarding the faith. <clears throat> And then Paul proceeds to flesh out, pun intended, flesh out his argument with a spiritual balance sheet. I really should defer to my wife when talking about accounting, because my wife has a degree uh, in accounting from Oxford Brookes University, uh, but sometimes she just drops the last, last half of that, and she, I've got a degree from Oxford, you know. Um, but she's the accountant. She's the accountant of the family. She's the accountant of our local church. Uh, and apparently on one of my ministry trips, the best gift I ever brought home for her was a coffee mug. And this coffee mug said, I love spreadsheets. Yes, my wife is weird uh, in that she loves the American tax form, and she looks upon it as a kind of Sudoku puzzle. Yeah, uh, thank you. You just go ahead and do that. Yeah. So, so, in other words, she's the accountant. But we all need to do a little bit of accounting sometime. And indeed, when it comes to spiritual things, we all need to do an accounting. I'm showing my age, but I remember an old Larry Norman song, and uh, I'm sorry, it was dipping into the dispensational theology a little bit, but you might remember the old Larry Norman song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. One of the lines said, life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. When the Jewish people were fleeing Germany, yes, their diamonds might have bought them a piece of bread. It's important to do the accountancy, and sometimes the normal accountancy is not correct. That gold is just worth a piece of bread. What would those foolish virgins think? How much worth to have a little bit of extra oil in their lamp? It's important to do the math, and so here he does it. Here the apostle does it, and he puts out his tally of credentials. He lists them all, and as if he's building up the argument. Circumcision? I'm an eight-dayer. Verse 5 and following is, is this whole list. And it's a literal phrase, I'm an eight-dayer. 
I'm of the chosen people. I'm not a proselyte. I'm true blood, true blue Jew. I'm a Benjamite. I'm from that particularly specially loved tribe. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not uh, from a family of, of, uh, of Gentiles. Rather, my line is perfect. I'm, my Hebrew line is perfect. I'm a Pharisee, and literally that, that is the group that was the holy ones, the separate ones, the parush ones, the Pharisees. And as for religious zeal and as for religious righteousness, I'm your TT guy. I'm your totally Torah guy. So he, he sets out his credentials, and then he realizes the reality of the spiritual accounting, all these things that he had on the plus side were actually on, on, the, on the negative side. In, in fact, he uses a most unpleasant word in verses 7 and 8, all those apparent gains. He says they're, they're rubbish, the ESV puts it. It's uh, the Greek word skubala, which, again, I need to be careful of my language, but it's actually waste from dogs or waste that is thrown to dogs. In fact, I'm more of the mind that it is waste from dogs. So, Paul is effectively saying, watch out for the dogs and the dog poop. Really, this is Scripture. And he's placing all his Jewish excellencies as excretia. All his Jewish privileges and perfections were poop. <laughs> see, I, we need to see Paul's radical repudiation of all flesh religion, whether it's Jewish Torah or Christian legalism, whether it's bells and smells or Jewish DNA. You know, I don't know what it is with people when they say, well, I've done my DNA test. I want to see if I've got any Jewish blood in me. I want to be a child of Abraham by faith. That's more important than knowing whether there's some DNA with me. It, it is all scubala compared to Christ. Roger Ellsworth, in his commentary, really has a good illustration. He says, you know, all of this, it's like striking a match to help the sun. wisdom regarding the faith. What do we want to say by way of application? I want us to see, as he points out, the gain of the gospel. If the first point was the confusion over confidence, the second application, it's the gain of the gospel. The reason I think some people have a fascination for all this Judaistic stuff, not, please don't misunderstand, we need to know our Jewish roots we need to know that Christianity is Jewish. We need to read Genesis and not simply be one-third of the Bible people. We need to have an understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures, but there is a fascination with all things Jewish, and if that is the case, it's because you haven't seen Jesus enough. If you have a fascination for kosher Torah observance, you haven't seen the surpassing excellence of Christ. Matthew Henry says they are, comparing all of these things, he says they are not only less valuable than Christ, but in the highest degree contemptible when they come in competition with Him. Take a look at the surpassing worth. We haven't time to, to deal with it, but we read there in verses 9 through 7, to be found in Him, 
This is the gain of the gospel. To gain Christ, to know Him, to be found in Him, to have His righteousness, not my works righteousness, which is scubala, which is excrement in the sight of God. To obtain the power of His resurrection, to share in His suffering, to become like Him in His death, and by of any means possible to attain the resurrection of this fleshly body, to be a body like His body. Wow! Just think through the gain of the gospel that we have in Christ. What worth this other stuff when we may gain Christ and be found in Him? This is the gospel that we must bring to our Jewish friends. We bring them the wonders of Jesus, His blood and righteousness. My beauty are my glorious dress. Enough of this Torah observance and confidence in the flesh putting your hopes in your works. This rabbi in South Florida simply told me, you know, I have some issues with the Apostle Paul. I bet he has. Gaining, as the Apostle declares, the, the, the gospel, this righteousness, gaining not only his righteousness, but gaining the righteous one his power to save, his efficacious death, his resurrection so that me, this unclean Gentile and unclean Jew, or externally clean Jew, as Paul was, may have a right accounting. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift, the gain, and I shall obtain the resurrection of this body one day. What a gain of the gospel we have to bring to our Jewish friend. Gain of the gospel to bring to Sterling. Wisdom concerning the faith. Third point I need to bring and draw us to a conclusion. The work of pressing forward. The work of pressing forward. Very briefly. I thought you said no work, Stephen. Okay. The work of pressing forward. Well, we who are Reformed know that we are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Well, what is this work as the apostle identifies it? Well, again, very briefly, just a simple point or a point by point. He's focused on one thing, he's facing one way, he's following one example, and he's finishing well. Let's look at those one by one, focused. Where's he aiming at? Verses 12 through 14. He's aiming at glory. He's aiming at the upward call. He is focused. He is focused vertically. How much of church life is focused horizontally? Here is the, the, the problem of the modern church. Pragmatism, peer group pressure for horizontal gain. We want the bums on the seats. We want a good bank, of church, bank account in our church. We, we want to win the world with the world. It's a horizontal focus, not so the apostle. His is a vertical focus. His is upward and onward in our witness, in our worship, in our ministry, in our ministries and missions. Are we focused upwards? Are we facing forwards? Paul says here, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. What does he mean here? Well, he's forgetting in some ways the scubala. Remember in Hebrews 1, which is an amazing passage even to contemplate ourselves for, uh, and I, I don't want to go off on another sermon, but Hebrews 1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers. 
God spoke to Mitch Tapper's forefathers, my buddy in Pittsburgh. God spoke to his forefathers. God spoke to the Apostle Paul's forefathers. God didn't speak to my forefathers. My Scots-Irish forefathers were dancing round stone when God, the living and true, the God of Israel, revealed Himself to a little insignificant tribe in the Middle East. And so in Hebrews, we read chapter 1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers. But, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. And Paul is saying, now I'm facing that way. I'm facing towards the Son, Jesus. Focused, facing, following. Well, what does he say here? Follow us, he says. Well, that's a bit arrogant, Paul. Follow me and follow us. Well, it is the way. The way of the Mandalorian. Okay, sorry about that one. It is the way. It is the way of the new covenant. It is apostolic witness. And again, I learned a lot from that Messianic rabbi in South Florida because he said, Jesus is my Savior, but Moses is my sanctifier. Ooh. No, just no. Jesus is your Savior, and Jesus is your front-facing focus, and you are following the apostle because he follows Christ. If you've got issues with the Apostle Paul, then you have issues with Jesus. And then finishing, finishing verse 20, finishing heaven, because that's where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven. Two and a half years ago, I became an American citizen, so permit me to speak from experience. I was born a British citizen. You were probably, most of you, born American citizens. Maybe not all, but you were born American citizens. I was born a British citizen, but I became an American citizen. We are born children of Adam. But by the grace of God and the work of God and the anothen, the born from above, when that comes to us, we are citizens of heaven. And so our focus and our facing and our following and our finishing is heaven. We are to pursue the prize, says the apostle. That's where we should be aiming at. That's where we should be pressing forward. Are you too heavenly-minded to be of earthly use? I'm sorry, you can't be heavenly-minded enough. We are so earthly-minded. I know what that saying means. We need more heavenly-minded people in church. And we need to be minded that we are citizens of heaven. Our emphasis must be on heaven, upon Christ, upon His gospel, not the horizontal, not the fleshly. My time is done. Telling a Jewish person the gospel is not simply reciting Isaiah 53. It's bringing this warning concerning the flesh. It's bringing the wisdom concerning the faith and the balance sheet and it's bringing the work of pressing forward. George Bernard Shaw said that youth is wasted on the young. I know that in my life as I enter my 60s. 
Recently, my, well, actually last Christmas, my daughter gave me a Christmas present that was um, a subscription to StoryWorth. Now, this is not an ad for StoryWorth, but it's worth, follow, it's worth looking into, perhaps, if you want. But StoryWorth, basically, I get a question in my inbox every Monday morning, and through the year, I will get 52 questions in my inbox that I am to write an answer and at the end of the year, my answers will be made into a book for my children or my children's children. Some of the questions. What were your grandparents like? Where did you go on vacation as a child? What were your favorite toys? Are you more like your mom or your dad? And, and one of the later one, latest ones that I've answered, what advice would you give to your great-grandchildren? Now, I have four children. I'm an only child. I have four children. And any day now, Grandchild number 13 is about to arrive. I am blessed. And I've been writing this, God willing, for my children, my children's children, my children's children's children. Uh, I think at the end of it, I'll probably have about 50,000 words, so I think I'd need to get a PhD in Papaology. I think that's, I think that's what's coming. But what advice do you give your great-grandchildren? It's got to be this, my friends. It's got to be this. It's got to be pursue the prize, the upward calling. And what does Sinclair Ferguson speak of this as? He says, it is full, unclouded knowledge of Christ and fellowship with Him. Wow! Full, unclouded knowledge of the Messiah of Israel and fellowship with Him. I'm sorry, Moses, you don't give me that. What worth is the dog dirt of religiosity compared to the transformation even now to be like Him, to be with Him forever? That's the gospel. And so, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You did not leave us in our sins or even in our Gentile darkness, but rather You sent the gospel to this insignificant people. And though the majority turned away, yet a remnant believed and brought that message to the unclean nations of the world. And we simply ask, O oh Lord, that as You have preserved the ancient people, so You have preserved for a purpose that we Gentiles who have been so blessed by Israel's Messiah will desire to bring that gospel back to those that brought it to us. Hear us and help us as together as church and ministry we engage with the Jewish people here in the USA. Build your church, Lord, by the gospel of God, and enable us together, Jew and Gentile, to stand together under one shepherd, even Jesus of Nazareth. In His holy name we pray. Amen.